Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Thank you, Pastor Joe. It's a joy to be with you this morning. My uh, tablet keeps turning off, so hopefully that won't be an issue. But I am here from uh, Central Seminary. My wife and I still live in Faribault, Minnesota, which is about two and a half hours south of here. And we drove up uh, last night. And uh, I serve as a director of communications for Central Seminary, which means I kind of handle the techie stuff. So I do some web design, social media. We also have a podcast that if you're a podcast person, you might consider uh, checking out. Um, we talk about a variety of topics. And um, like Joe said, we also do the class visiting. So if you ever wanted to take a class, maybe you've been through the FBI program here at the church and you want to go a little bit further, you can audit or visit any of our classes for $100. Uh, those are available online through Live Synchronous Education. We'd use the Zoom platform. So that's one of the new uh, benefits of the seminary. When I went to seminary there, uh, everything was on site. You had to be on campus. My wife and I actually moved from Pennsylvania in order to uh, pursue seminary education. Well, you don't need to do that any longer. So you can do that right here in Sauk Center, Minnesota. So if you're interested in that, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to show you how Central Seminary can uh, challenge and encourage you. Going to be in Exodus chapter 18 this morning. Exodus chapter 18. I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we enjoy sometimes watching HGTV. And we enjoy the, uh, the, the shows where they try to redo old houses. Uh, there's one in particular that we always like called Flip or Flop. And it's the show of a, a husband and, and wife who purchase these old houses and they, uh, their goal is to try to uh, flip them to make a profit. And the whole show is based off of whether they're going to be able to flip it or uh, wh whether it's going to be a flop. And it's a fun show to, uh, to look into, but I've noticed certain realities about this show or even this concept of flipping houses. There's usually uh, certain, uh, certain things that determine if the house is going to make a profit, if it will flip, or if it's just going to be a flop. And, and many times what it comes down to is the structure of the house. If the house has good bones... Chances are they're going to be able to flip it and make a profit. But if the house has some of the type of things that you can't really see on the surface, uh, there, there might be some issues. Oftentimes they'll run into things like termite damage or a sagging ceiling or you know some joists that are about ready to crumble. If the house doesn't have good structure, Many times, it's going to be a flop. They're not going to be able to flip it and make any profit. In the same way, I've noticed that churches need to have the right underlying structure, the right bones. There are certain unhealthy ways of viewing ministry or doing ministry that lead a ministry or even a church to essentially flop when it could thrive. I think we can all agree that we want a healthy church, right? We want a church that thrives. But how do we get there? Are there some things that we can turn to that contribute to the overall health of a ministry? 
Are there some principles that we can plug into a ministry, whether it be a church or any sort of Christian organization or institution that contribute to the overall health? I think there are. And I think there are some good uh, structures, some good bones that we can put into churches today that set them up to thrive and not just survive. And I think we can learn some of these from the example of Jethro and Moses in Exodus chapter 18. I think these are principles that we can plug into church ministry. Even though the text wasn't written about a church, it was written about Old Testament Israel. But I think if we do some of the things mentioned in this text, I think we will set churches up to thrive. Not just survive, but to thrive. We'll be well on our way to having churches that have the right structure. So let's look at our text this morning, Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23. And as you're looking there, there's one big idea I want you to remember. If this is the only thing you remember this morning, remember this. Ministries that just survive won't thrive. Ministries that just survive won't thrive. So you can follow with me. As I read Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23, and as as I do, I want to remind you that sometimes the right structure can make all the difference. Ministries that don't have the right structure may be able to eke out an existence for a period of time, but they're not going to Thrive, And our passage this morning is all about that. So Exodus 18 verses 13 through 23. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. And now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and All the people stand about you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes and and the laws. Moses' father said to him, The thing that you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way which they are to walk and the work which they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall set shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge all the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing as God commands you to do, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. Ministries that just survive oftentimes won't thrive. I think that's what our text this morning is all about. As we begin to unpack this text together, I think we can learn four characteristics 
of thriving ministries, four characteristics of ministries that thrive. Let's begin to unpack this text together. First of all, ministries that thrive are honest in their evaluation of their progress. They're honest in their evaluation of their progress. And as we begin to unpack this text here, we encounter uh, Moses and Jethro and the people of Israel. If you were here in Sunday school, we talked about author and audience. Those are the, the audience here, Moses, Jethro, and the people. And we see them honestly evaluating where they were at. Now let's get some understanding, let's get some context, because I just talked about context in Sunday school. Let's understand where we are in Israel's history here. Israel had just left Egypt, where a few chapters beyond their uh, Red Sea experience, where God parted the sea and allowed Israel to get away from Pharaoh of Egypt. That was chapter 14. Then they went into the wilderness and they began complaining against God and God had to provide for them in these unique ways. Water when all the water was bitter. Manna from heaven, quail from the sky. You're probably familiar with these illustrations. Water from a rock. Eventually they went to battle against the Amalekites and God gave them victory and they built an altar to the Lord. And so we cross into chapter 18 and interestingly enough, things seem to be going fairly well in the ministry in Israel. There's celebration among the people of the works of God, but more importantly, the people who had not too long ago been grumbling against Moses, now they're, they're apparently respecting his leadership because they're, they're lining up before him all day long to seek his advice. And as chapter 18 begins, where we started this morning, we see that Moses gets a visit from his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro had been watching the children and, and wife of Moses, kind of taking care of them while Moses was out to battle. Now he comes back, and so Jethro brings the family back. And Jethro sees how Moses was leading the people, and he offers some constructive criticism. Things could be improved upon in a leadership style of Moses. And so Jethro gives him some friendly advice. This is where our passage this morning picks up. And here's where we come back to our first lesson about thriving ministry. Thriving ministries are honest in their evaluation of their progress. We see some honest evaluation going on here with Jethro and Moses. Look at verse 14. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Jethro talked to Moses here and he began to evaluate things, see how it was going, how things were doing, the healthy, honest evaluation we're talking about. And if a church today is to thrive and not just survive, sometimes we need to do some honest evaluation. Notice two truths from our text this morning about honest evaluation of ministry. First of all, honest evaluation keeps ministry efficient. Keeps ministry efficient. As they took an honest look here, they discovered that they were not doing things in the most efficient manner. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from the morning until evening. 
They weren't doing things the most efficient way. Israel, you remember, is a hot climate. There's a hot sun. They, they probably didn't have any shelter here. It was a big deal to go to Moses and get your, uh, get your issue, whatever it was, taken care of, especially if it was a minor thing. It was a big deal. You might have to wait in the hot sun all day long. And so Jethro sees what's happening here. And he says, Moses, hey, hey let's do some evaluation here. Ministry's happening, but it's not very efficient. Things are getting done, but there might be a better way. They're not as efficient as they could have been. And we'll see later on in our text, they actually take some steps to change that. Notice also with me that honest evaluation keeps ministers effective. Keeps ministers effective. We see that there was a problem here in the text. It was a leadership problem. A problem with Moses. And this was not good. Jethro pointed out, you're going to get tired. You're going to wear yourself out. You can't keep this pace day after day. And so they had to take a step back and evaluate the ministry to bring it back to a healthy place. Well, what can we learn today as a church from a text like this? Well, I think we learn that it's a good thing to honestly evaluate where we're at. Evaluate our ministries. It's a necessary and important thing. Churches need to evaluate their ministries. See what's working. See what isn't. Make the necessary changes. We shouldn't just do the same old things for no other reason than they're the same old things that we've always done. I like what one of my friends and mentors says. See if you know this guy. Doing something because you've always done it that way is a horrible reason to do anything. We need to be strategic and intentional about ministry and change and adapt to the needs of a changing culture. And this is hard, right? This is hard, especially for Baptists. Because we don't really like change. I mean, there's jokes made about Baptists and change. It's kind of hard for us. Many times we think that change, change equals compromise. It doesn't. Our whole Christian life is built on the concept of change and being transformed into something that God is making new. Our text today reminds us that ministries that just survive don't thrive. Now is a great time to look at our ministries as churches and see. Especially with the after effects of COVID coming out of some of those things. Churches should not look the same coming out of COVID as it did going into COVID. Why? Because our world has changed. If we don't adapt our ministry to meet the needs of a changing world and a changing culture, we might become irrelevant. We need the same type of evaluation that Moses and Jethro did in their ministry because ministries that just survive, if we're just set on surviving and getting by, chances are we're not going to thrive. Let's come back to our text and we learn our second description of ministries that thrive from our text this morning. They have realistic expectations. Realistic expectations of their leaders. Notice that there was a problem here. There were these expectations in Israel about leadership. Moses. And they weren't very healthy expectations. They were not realistic. They were not sustainable. 
I think we learn two principles here about ministries and the expectations they have of their leaders. Notice with me, realistic expectations reduce ministry bottleneck. I like that phrase, ministry bottleneck. It's not original with me. I encountered it as I was studying for this sermon. But it kind of gives a good visual picture of what was going on here in Israel and what happens many times in churches. In Israel, everything went through Moses. He was one guy. He could only do so much. And there was this ministry bottleneck. There, There was a backup in the needs being met in the people of Israel. This is what happens many times when ministry in churches is viewed as only the pastor's job. Or all the ministry goes through the pastor. There is a ministry bottleneck. He's often, the pastor is often distracted from the things he should be focusing on, like prayer or ministry of the word. And there's a bottleneck in ministry because it all relies on one person, and one person can only do so much. So, what's the problem? What's unrealistic expectations? The expectation either by the pastor or by the people that one guy can do it all. That's what Israel had. And it wasn't really working for them. Growing, thriving ministries are realistic in their expectation of their leaders. They understand that if they don't have realistic expectations, there's going to be a bottleneck in ministry getting done. Notice also that realistic expectations reduce ministry burnout. That's basically what Jethro said to Moses here in verse 18. You will surely wear out. The task is too great for you. It's too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Let me tell you something this morning. Thriving ministries don't let their leaders burn out. They don't let them or expect them to do it all on their own and get to the point of breaking. They understand that if that happens, he's going to burn out and chances are so will the ministry. This is so important, especially for churches today. If one man, if we expect the one man, the pastor, to do all the ministry, all the visiting, all the house calls, all the hospital visits, all the major decision making, all the grunt work for the new initiative we're trying to do, he will burn out. And if he doesn't burn out, it's probably going to come from other areas or other places like his family. Can't tell you the number of pastors that I've talked to and sat down and had heart to heart who we would think were you know, models of, of ministry and they many of them come back and say there were times when they neglected their family in order to do ministry. We don't want that. I don't want that. I know Pastor Joe doesn't want that. Sometimes we need to do some healthy evaluation and change our expectations That's what Moses and Jethro did. They learned that ministries that just survive won't thrive. They had realistic expectations of their leaders. We come back to our text and we find a third characteristic here of growing, thriving ministries. That's they have intentional dedication to their calling. There's intentional dedication to their calling. 
as we go through our text here, we, we see that there was this dedication. They know that God has a calling on their life, and everyone's called to do what God has called them to do, but not all the roles were identical. Notice from our text this morning that leaders are called to lead. Verse 19. Jethro tells Moses, you be the people's representative before God. You bring the disputes to God and then admonish them about the statutes and laws and make known to them the way which they are to walk and the work they are to do. There was leadership involved here. Moses was called to handle the disputes of the people that he had been handling. He was called to lead them. He represented them before God. He taught them how to do things rightly. Verse 21, we see that Moses even had some leadership in the selection of new leaders. Jethro was calling Moses here back to his calling. Moses, you have a job to do. Make sure you focus on that. Notice also that the competent are called to serve. Verse 21, he says to Moses, Select out of all the people, able men of God who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and shall place these over men as leaders, leaders of thousands, hundreds, and fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Let it be that they will bring to you every major matter and they will judge every minor matter themselves so it will be easier for you and they will carry the burden with you. Moses was to look for competent, spiritually qualified men who he could place into ministry to assist him. This was, you see in the text, it was according to their ability. Some had a greater capacity for ministry than others, and so they were given a greater responsibility for ministry. Some over thousands, some over hundreds, some over fifties and tens. But we see this division of responsibilities to help streamline the ministry, reduce the, the bottleneck, reduce the possibility for burnout, take the burden off of Moses, and engage others in the ministry. Competent men were called to serve. Notice also that the people were called to support. They were expected to support the plan. This is more implicit in the text. But the whole system would only work if everybody followed the process. It wouldn't work if I said, well, my matter is so important that I need to go right to Moses. The whole system would work. They'd be back where they were originally. The people were called and expected to support the ministry structure so they could help with the flow of ministry, but also help them understand that each one had a calling, each one had a role. This is the true nature of ministry, especially in the church. We each have a role. We each have a calling. The leaders are called to lead. There are certain things expressed in Scripture that pastors are to give themselves towards preaching and study and ministering the Word of God. Shepherding people who need shepherded training leaders. Make sure your pastor can follow his calling. And part of the way you do that is by following yours. I wonder, what is your calling here at the church? I know you have one. 1 Corinthians 12 makes that clear that we all have been gifted in certain ways and God expects us to use our gifts in the body. I wonder, what is yours? Are you using it? Maybe you're one of the ones that they talk about here. You have a higher capacity for ministry. Are you doing that? Are you serving in the church? 
Are you willing to step up and accept the responsibility so that your church can not just survive, but can thrive in ministry? Can you do that? Can you get behind your leaders and those who are leading ministries and setting vision so that your church can grow? We all need to be intentional in our dedication to our calling. These are the types of things that make a difference in the church. Everyone intentionally dedicating themselves to their calling. This is how ministries don't just survive, they thrive. We come back to our text this morning and we find one final lesson that we learn about ministries that thrive. They're concentrated in their preparation of their people. They're concentrated in their preparation of their people. We see Jethro instructing Moses here in what God wanted him to do and the things that God had for him. And he was involved in the preparation here. Notice how this took place. First of all, through investing. Moses was to invest in the people by representing them before God, showing them how to live according to his law. Presumably some of this had already been taking place. But Moses is called to invest in teaching the whole congregation what God requires of them, how to follow the law. He's also to be doing this role of identifying, finding men who can step up, who can take leadership, who can share in the role, who can handle more ministry. His preparation of them was through identifying men who would be capable of handling and shouldering the weight of a greater responsibility of ministry. And then he was to appoint them. Verse 22, let them judge the people at all times. Let it be that they will bring to you every major matter, but they will judge every minor matter themselves. Notice, this isn't just throwing people into ministry and letting them, letting them go. It's helping them, training them, teaching them, leading them through it. And this is really what ministry is about. It's about investing in people. It's about identifying those who are capable of being given responsibility and appointing them to do the job and discipling and mentoring and training them along the way. What Jethro is really teaching Moses here is how to create a discipleship culture. And traditionally, Baptist churches haven't been great about creating a discipleship culture. Many times we settle for warm bodies and we're just happy to find somebody that we can just plug into ministry and kind of let them go, which is great, but we don't train. We don't invest. And if ministries are to thrive today, especially churches, they need to focus on the preparation of their people. They need to focus on discipleship, both individually and corporately as a group. We need to focus on training the next generation. Too often conservative churches have chased all of the next generation away by not being willing to adapt and do healthy evaluation like we're talking about. Friends, we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. I think Jethro gives Moses some incredible advice that we can even apply here today to churches in Minnesota. So where does this leave us? How does this apply to us today practically? Let me give you some uh, next steps here this morning, individually and corporately as a church. First of all, we need to be able to honestly evaluate our ministries, right? 
We need to be able to do that. We see Jethro and Moses doing this in our text. We see how they looked at how things were going. They said, we can do it better. We need to be willing to do this. What does this mean for us personally? Well, personally, it means that we need to check our preferences. We need to make sure they don't become principles. We have things that we like, and that's fine. We need to make sure we're not elevating them to the level of principles. We need to be willing to put our thoughts or our preferences aside sometimes for the good of the body. I mean, what would have happened if the people said, oh, my matter's big enough, I'm going to Moses. The whole system would have been thrown apart. Ministry would not be efficient. Ministers would not be effective. Personally, this means we might need to let go of some of our preferential things in order to be a part of the church. Corporately, this means we need to not be afraid to have honest, open conversations of evaluation. We need to make decisions as a body based on health, not based on tradition. We need to put principle over preference. Truth of God's word needs to govern our direction, not the way we've always done things. Churches need to be governed by their mission, not tradition. And all churches need to be able to do healthy evaluation. Second next step this morning. Come on, here we go. Have realistic expectations of your leaders. This is important for you as a church, especially as you're starting the process of looking for another man in ministry. We need to remember the primary focus of people like our pastor isn't to do everything. Isn't to do ministry for us. They're to train us to do ministry. He's not the CEO. When we view him that way, it creates bottleneck and burnout, and we don't want either. So individually, personally, means that maybe we're not going to be upset if a deacon ministers to us. If I'm in the hospital, my care deacon comes and visits to me. That's actually a really healthy thing. I'm not going to expect the pastor to do everything or be involved in everything or have his hands on everything. Or maybe I could step up to free my pastor of some of the mundane aspects of ministry so that he can focus on his calling. Corporately, as a church, it means that we need to structure our ministry to protect our pastors and to protect his calling. Third, we need to be dedicated to our own calling. We see that in, in the text here that they all had a role to play in this. Individually, we all have a calling. Maybe your calling is to accept a greater level of responsibility. We need people to do that. We need people to step up and lead ministries. We need people to fill the appointed officers and offices of the church, the deacons, the church clerk, the treasurer, those sort of things. Maybe for you this means you need to join the church so that you can get, a, get involved in a more, uh, more area of ministry and fulfill your calling. We all have a responsibility in the church corporately. This means that as a church body, you need to remember your purpose, why you're here. I think it's written somewhere in the building here. Make more and better disciples. Don't forget that. Final next steps. We need to prepare our people. We need to prepare our people as churches. We all need to be involved in the process that Moses was involved in here. Identifying, or investing, identifying, appointing people to ministry. 
So what does this mean for us? Well, individually, it means we all need to be involved in discipleship, mentoring, doing one-on-one discipleship, helping other believers, preparing them. Whatever ministry you're in in the church, you need to be training your replacement because you're not going to do it forever. I like what Dr. Les Olala, the Chancellor of Northland International University, used to say when I went to college there. He used to say, everyone needs a Paul, a pattern, a Barnabas, a peer, and a Timothy, a project. I wonder, who do you have? Who do you have that you are ministering to? Corporately, as a church, it means we need to focus together on this. We need to be here involved in the opportunities for our own training and edification, the opportunities for our own discipleship of others, whether it's the discipleship Bible studies or the Faith Bible Institute or some of these other things. We need to be involved. We need to support those things. We need to help in the ministry because we all have a role. Well, these are some practical next steps for us this morning, some ways we can take this text and apply it into our lives. We don't want to just survive as a church, do we? You don't want to just survive. We want a church that thrives. And I believe by taking some of the principles in our text today and applying them to our church, we can do Israel today. We can take our ministry and we can move from just surviving to actually thriving. Jethro gave Moses some very practical insights. We can apply these truths to the church as well. What if every single person here today, every single person who might be watching online, what if we put this text into practice this week? I think we would see the change that Israel saw in their ministry leaders, focusing on their calling, people being equipped and placed into ministry, ministry not being bottlenecked. The church would be more than just surviving. A church like Faith Baptist Church in Sauk Center would be ready to thrive. Would you join together in taking this text and working it out in your church body here, even this week, so you can move forward and be the church that God wants you to be. Let's do that this week. Would you bow with me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you showed us today. Father, help us. We want churches, not just this church, but churches all across Minnesota and across the world. We want to be churches that thrive. We don't want to just survive. We ask for your help We ask for your grace that you would help us to be able to be what we need to be so that our churches can be what they need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you.